Alright. So we'll be Acts chapter 6. Let's pray before we get started. Father, we love you. We come before you today and thank you, God, for your blessings and mercies for all that you do. We ask that you'd be with us today as we look at your word. Help us to apply it to our lives, God. And we just ask that you would teach us because, uh, uh, Father, we just know that uh, in and of ourselves we can do nothing. It's only by your spirit, Lord, that you uh, um, show us things in our heart from what you said in your word. We thank you for that. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 6. It's a little difficult because really the first part of chapter 6 talks about reorganization of the church, how they have to, they have a problem and they have to go. The second part talks about, it kind of focuses on Stephen. And then the whole next chapter, chapter 7, focuses on Stephen's speech and him being stoned. So if I were splitting it up, and you get rid of that mint. I can't talk with a mint. Uh, if I were splitting it up, I'll pick it up. If I were splitting it up, I would put the second part of chapter 6 with chapter 7 because it's all about Stephen and, and, and what he does. But I'm just going to try to get through chapter 6 just because for lack of time or whatever. What? Don't be shaking your head at me. It's all good. It's just a mint. I had a napkin over here. You could have spit it in. It's all right. The floor caught it. Okay. <laughs> So, sorry, I, I probably should have used a napkin. All right, so, so far we have seen the church under attack in a couple of different ways. They've been under attack through persecution. We saw that last week. Uh, you know, a couple of times now, John and Peter have been arrested. Apostles have been arrested. Angel let them out of jail and went right back to preaching in the temple again. And uh, we also saw attack from within as corruption tried to come and, and attack the church. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira, who were a part of the church, whether or not they were saved is an open question, but they were at least part of the assembly. And so they were corrupt from within, and that was overcome. Well, now the next attack, the, the next thing Satan's going to try is division. He's going to try division and distraction. And so that's what's going to go on here. The, the whole point of the text, before we even start reading it, I'll just tell you, is that um, the, the church has grown so big now. You know, we talked about it was started at 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost, then 5,000 the next time they after the healing of the man, the gate called beautiful and then more added every day and so there was at least you know if you're just counting uh, the men it was probably 8,000 you add you know women children it, it could be up to 20,000 we don't really know for sure but it was at least eight or ten thousand people and it was growing every day more likely it was 15 or 20 and so you can imagine that part of the part of the culture of doing the works of God was to care for the widows and the orphans, those that couldn't care for themselves. There were no wasn't no welfare, wasn't no stuff like that if they, you know, didn't get cared for. And there most people during this time they went out and worked in order to eat that night. You know, and so it wasn't like, you know, I can lay off work for a week and everything's going to be fine, you know. And so if you couldn't work, you know, if you're a widow, an orphan, or someone who is handicapped or something like that, you're in a real problem. And so the the Judaism and, by extension, Christianity, when it came, they took care of the widows and stuff. So what we're going to see is the the church got so big that the apostles were... were um, 
were going beyond what they were able to do to take care of everybody, to make sure that everybody was, was you know, fed and took care of, all the widows, all the things. And we're going to see a division rise up in the midst of the church. So it's something that you don't hear of a lot. You know, you hear a lot about divisions in churches now. You know, this time, this church divides and that church, they're always fighting with each other, whatever. But you need to see that even back in the early days of Acts, there were the same problems back then that we have now. Uh, there were personality problems, issues. It was not a perfect. It was not a perfect church even from its inception. So we're going to talk about all that. Is there any questions before we get started? None. Okay. So in verse one it says, "And in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring." of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. What was the daily ministration, you think? Just guess. Yeah, it was food distribution. It was the widows, you know, they got to they got to eat. So understand that it's a problem in the logistics of the church. It's a problem because some of these widows are not getting the food that they need. But the text tells us that it wasn't just, oh, there's a problem. There was a division because murmurings has started. Murmurings is never used. The word uh, that's translated murmurings here is never used in a good way. And so what you see is two segments, two segments of the church, <clears throat> excuse me, are divided amongst each other. Now, Grecians and Hebrews, they're both Christians, but one, they're both Jewish and they're both Christians. But one is the Hebrew Christians were the ones that were born in Palestine. They were Jewish by nationality. They were you know, raised there and the Grecians, which probably should be the Hellenistic Jews, were people that were from other countries that were Jewish. I mean, they were Jewish by nationality, but, you know, they were dispersed in other countries and they were raised in other countries. Like, for instance, when when uh, in the Bible, when you see them uh, dispersed after the city was destroyed and all that, uh, Jewish communities went everywhere, all over the Roman Empire, I mean, all over the, the, the known world. And, and so they raised families there and all kind of stuff. And so these were people that have come back to Jerusalem for other countries. And so what they're saying basically is y'all are showing preference. Y'all are showing preference to these Hebrew Jewish Christian widows and our Christian widows aren't getting the fair share. Now, does that sound like something goes on in churches today? Yeah, it sounds like the same kind of thing. And it was a real problem. I'm not saying that it wasn't a problem. I'm not saying that they were just being big old babies or whatever like that. But what we need to see is that even in the earliest days, I mean, you, you, people talk about let's get back to the first century church. Well, you know, the first century church had its problems just like everybody, every other church had. They had persecution problems. They had corruption from within, Ananias and Sapphira. We'll see some more later on. They had uh, problems with uh, the apostles meeting their needs. Can you, I, I just picture just, I guess because of, uh, you know, kind of what I do, but I just picture uh, some old widow, some old Hellenistic Grecian widow telling her son-in-law, well, you know, they say they all that, but I, they ain't nobody called me. I ain't got no, you know, I, I just see that saying, can you, okay, so evidently that's not as funny to y'all as it was to me. But you can see, you can, I mean, you, you see the same problems going on then as you got now. I mean, you, it, it's impossible for 
And that's why the church has to get involved. The apostles are going to get the church involved. It's impossible for one or two guys to take uh, a church full of 300 people and do everything that needs to be done. You've got to, have, got to have people that serve, people that minister, people that take upon themselves to do these things. It's impossible for 12 guys, even empowered as they were, to take care of all the needs of 10,000 people. You know, and you see that there were some widows that were getting left out. And it looked to them like it was kind of a, I mean, it looked to them like it was kind of a, a racial thing or like a nationality thing. Well, you're taking care of them Hebrew widows real good, but you, you know, you're leaving our widows out. And so that's what they're going to do. What they're going to do is they're going to, uh, they're going, the, the whole, the whole text is they're going to appoint seven Deacons, basically. And that's what the word deacon comes from service. It comes from serve, diaconus. And so they're going to appoint seven men to take over this, this food distribution. They're going to reorganize because they don't want to be distracted from their calling. Look at verse 2. It says, um, Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is not reason, which means good, it's not good that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, when you hear serve tables, what do you think of? Like a waitress, yeah. Like, not that waitressing is a menial task, but it sounds like the apostles are saying, well, what do you think we are, waitress? We're not going to be waitering, waitressing, you know, we're here to do the Word of God. But the it, it sounds that way because the word serve tables, you know, it sounds that way to us. But they're not talking about, well, we're too good to do this menial task. Uh, their point was, our calling is to be servants of the Word of God, and we can't, we can't let this other encroach upon that. What was going on? I mean, you can imagine 10,000, 15,000 people, the widows need food, all kind of needs going on, all kind of things happening. If you were to, if you were to apply yourself to uh, take care of everything that needs to be taken care of, you'd have no time for the Word of God. You'd have no time to preach. You'd have no time to study. Have no time for prayer. Have no time for all the things that you have to get done. And the apostles simply did not allow. They would not be distracted from their calling to serve in the Word of God. Now, they're going to use the same... I'm kind of flopping all over the place here, but they're going to use the same term. It says... Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who may we may appoint over this business, but we will... The word business there is, is service. It's uh, that word that we just said, diakonos. Or, uh, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry. That word ministry is the same word. So what they're saying is the ministry of the word. So what they're saying is you appoint... You pick seven guys... And we will give them this service while we continue the service of the Word. You give, we'll give them this ministry and we'll continue in this ministry. So it, it's the same word they're using, talking about service. Now, when you hear that, when you hear that, immediately you think, well, the apostles are getting the good end of the stick, ain't they? I mean, they're not going to have to really do anything, are they? Do y'all think that? Oh, come on. You know you're lying. When you, when you hear, okay, the, uh, let's say I'm an apostle and I'm saying, okay, Jason, we've got all these problems. So so-and-so's not getting fed. So-and-so's got a need. They've got all this. Uh, I say, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to appoint Jimmy. Jimmy, you go around and you meet all these needs and I'm going to concentrate on studying the word and preaching and praying. Now, who, who is, who's getting the short end of the stick? 
The way you put it, yeah, it sounds like Jimmy. But you need to understand that the apostles, their calling was to serve the Word of God, be a minister of the Word of God. And in order to do that, even as an apostle, you have to spend time in the Word of God, with the presence of God, in prayer about what, you know, I, it would be easy. There was, there was a time when I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll just go through the whole Bible and I'll outline each chapter. And that way, you know, I'm good. I, I, I got an outline of each chapter. If I ever need to preach, if I ever need to do anything, I got the outline right there. I don't have to worry about it. You know, I mean, make my life a whole lot easier. And it quickly became apparent that that uh, that's not how it works. <laughs> because a lot of times, a lot of times you need to, you have to spend time with God and you have to know what God wants to say to you. Like, that's why I don't do the TV preaching thing. Because, I mean, it might be a good message. It might be, you know, wonderful. But that dude don't know you. He don't know what you're going through. He don't know nothing about you. Don't know nothing about how far you're along in your maturity and your growth. Sure, I ain't fixing to come to the hospital when you get sick. And so what they're doing is they're saying, look... We have, we have a service that we are doing, service to God, that is the ministry of the Word and to prayer. And that's our calling is to do that. We are to preach the gospel, not just, they weren't just going out and evangelizing. So get that out of your mind as well. They were teaching the people as well. All the Christians were gathering right there at Solomon's porch. Remember we read that last week and the week before? And they were coming to hear the word of God. So it wasn't like they were just going out every day and they were saying, hey, all y'all, you know, let's come to Jesus. They were applying the Old Testament scriptures to the fulfillment that Christ gave. And they had to, unless they're going to do it in their own power in their own strength you have to have you have to have adequate time in seminary they'll teach you that if you're not spending at least 20 hours a week on your sermon you're not doing your job and you're you're lazy and you need to do something else for a living so that 20 hours that's just i mean that's not bible that's not god that's just what that's what the, the they teach you is that you have to spend at least 20 hours not just studying not just looking up commentaries seeing what other guys say but spend time praying, asking God, God, show me what you need the people to hear. Show me what you want me to say uh, that's going to benefit them and those things. And so when all these needs start arising, the apostles have a choice. We can either allow ourselves to be distracted from the actual ministry that God's given us to do, or we can reorganize and we can allow some of these other people to be ministers and servants and, and take things upon themselves. Now, when I said sounded like Jimmy got the short end of the stick, that is so not the case. Uh, because these were, these were, this was important. This was ministry. This was service to God. And the next two chapters are going to be focused on two of these men, Stephen and Philip. And it says that Stephen, while he was doing his service, while he was, you know, taking care of the food distribution and all this stuff, uh, he was working miracles as well. He was in contact with more sick people than these other guys were. He was in contact with the people who had needs, with the people who were uh, hurting, with the people that were uh, needed a touch from God. And it's going to show us that Stephen was working, ministering, serving in this capacity, but he was serving with power, with power from God as the apostles gave him, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the 
apostolic authority, I guess you'd call it. Does that make sense? Y'all are looking at me like, oh my gosh, what kind of class is this? Is that anybody don't understand the, the point that he's making here is number one, the first century church was just like every other church. Uh, they had problems, they had attacks that were coming from outside and inside, and the apostles had to decide right here, am I going to be faithful to my calling? And that's something that you and I have to decide every single day. God's called me to whatever. If you're, and, and those guys, I mean, they had to, they weren't just, you know, randomly picked out of a crowd. You know, there was instruction in what they had to be full of the Holy Ghost. They had to have wisdom. And I think that that wisdom with them being as knowledgeable of the Old Testament they were goes back to Proverbs 27, which is, the you know, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah, well, and they had to be, they were going to be taking care of people. And so they had to make decisions about this food goes over there and this food goes over there. It was a very important job. I mean, it was very, but I need you to see the point of all this is making is that both these things are important. Some churches will put more emphasis on one or the other and neither one's right. Some churches will say, well, all we're going to do is we're going to preach the word and we're going to, you know, and we're not going to help anybody. We're not going to worry about, you know, those that are hurting and needs and all that kind of stuff. And that's what we're going to do. That's really not the way that the early church did it. And some churches throw the gospel to the wind and just preach self-help principles, but they're really good about going out and helping the homeless and helping the hurting and all that. That's not the way to do it either. And the apostles struck the perfect balance here. They didn't just say, all y'all widows need to shut up. I mean, what's wrong with y'all, you big old babies? You know, they, they didn't do that. They said they saw the problem, but they understood we can't be distracted from our calling. So what we're going to do is we're going to appoint these seven men and they are going to take over this Ministry. It, it seems to me that from that, from that, uh, from the beginning, the apostles did this themselves, and now the church has got so big they they can't do it anymore because they're going to have to sacrifice the ministry of the word, or they're going to have to you know uh, give up the food distribution. So instead of doing either one, because both are so important, meeting people's needs and helping the hurting and reaching out to the the those that are in, in need, and the ministry of the word service of the word, prayer for the people, all those kind of things. Since both are so important, both have to be done. The apostles recognized the inability to do both uh, as unto the Lord. And so they said, I tell you what, you just get seven guys and you appoint them and and you, you bring them to us and we'll appoint them over this task. And that's what they did. And that's where we get the word. That's where we get Orlando Chalk. That's where we get the word. I do. No, that's my mint. Oh, look at the little chalk. That's where we get the word deacon. Don't be making fun of me. From the man, that is a little piece of chalk. Yeah. That's where we get the word deacon. So what they were appointing was they were appointing servants. They were appointing not just not just menial servants to serve tables and be waiters. Can I help you and all that? But these men, look at the qualifications. Like, like Jennifer said, you had to be full of the Holy Ghost. What verse is that? 
Verse 3, you had to be full of the Holy Ghost. They had to have given uh, uh, evidence that they had been spiritually transformed, that the Holy Spirit was uh, leading their life. You had to be uh, men of honest report that were uh, uh, known throughout the people to be honest and all that because there's a great uh, temptation for corruption to be in charge of all the things that they were going to be in charge of. And you had to be uh, uh, full of wisdom. You had to be you had to be able to make decisions and be trustworthy and all those kind of things. And so this was not just a menial task. This was not just something that they were, you know, well, we're just going to let them do the little bitty job and we're going to take the big job and we're going to be over here. This was something that was absolutely necessary, absolutely important. And it's something that's still important. Understand that God has given you a ministry. Now, I don't know what that ministry is. It may be ministry at your work. It may be something that you do, you know. There's little old ladies that really can't get out of the house, and their ministry is to pray. And they pray like nobody's business, you know, praying for this and praying for that, praying for this person, praying for that person. But if you are a believer, you do have a ministry. Maybe your ministry is to your family. Maybe it's to your your kids or grandkids or parents or brothers or sisters or co-workers or you, well, whatever. You got it. It's, the, it's unlimited what it could be. That's your ministry. But if you're a believer, you have a ministry. You have a service, and that service is necessary. So many times you think, people think, well, I, I'm really not, you know, I'm not, I'm not a pastor, and I'm not evangelist, I'm not a whatever, therefore I really don't have any kind. That's a lie. That's a lie. Every person, that's why Paul calls the church a body. You know, my, my pinky may not be the most important thing of my body, Body, uh, that I think is, but I don't want to let that door get cut off, you know. If uh, I knew a guy once, he got his big toe cut off. And you think, well, I wear shoes most times, so it really ain't going to matter, but he can't walk right. I mean, he had to relearn how to walk because that big toe is so important. There's every part, every part of you is important. Every part of the body is important, and every part of the church is important. Whatever ministry God has placed you in, that's an important thing, and it's not something that can be taken lightly. And we're going to see how important. If you, I know I'm rambling, and I'm sorry, but... These two men, Stephen and Philip, are going to be central to the next two chapters in Acts. So much so that God is going to use Stephen and his death to push the church out of Jerusalem. It's going to be Stephen's death when he's stoned to death in chapter 7 that is going to cause the church to flee Jerusalem and to start spreading the gospel out into Judea and Samaria. And so he's going to use him. God is going to use Philip uh, to, to spread the gospel to Ethiopia and to Samaria. Philip is going to go actually to Samaria and go start preaching the gospel to the Gentiles and the apostles are going to have to come to Samaria and see the work Philip's doing and saying, yeah, go ahead, Philip. Uh, Philip's going to be the one that preaches to the eunuch who's from Ethiopia that's going to go back with the gospel. And so these two men are not just waiters. They're not just guys that have to clean the floors because the apostles are too busy. They are integral parts of the church and God uses them in a mighty and powerful way. Stephen is, uh, uh, well his speech is going to be, it's, it's the longest one in Acts and it's probably the most uh, well we'll get to that when we get to it. Is there any questions? Do you see the 
application for you? It may sound, it was hard for me to study in this chapter because I'm thinking, how am I going to apply that to Sunday school? I mean, all it is a history lesson about what the church did. Uh, But the application is really for all of us that there is no menial task. There is no task that, you know, well, that's not important. I don't have to do that. But in the same way, each one of you has a task. So we can't, Stephen or these guys couldn't say, well, I don't want, I mean, why you get the big job and I just get to do the little bitty, you know, their job was super important and both need to be done. Both need to be done in the church and both need to be done in your life. You see that? Ministry of the word, ministry of meeting needs. Both need to be, they need to be balanced. Both need to be done in the church. And if you're a Christian, both need to be going on in your life. You need to be in the Word. You need to be testifying when you get an opportunity. You need to be spreading the gospel. You need to be doing what Jesus said to do when He says, go and make disciples of all nations. And in the same way, you need to do what Scripture tells us to do as believers. When you when you see a need, when someone comes to you with a need, you meet that need. Both need to happen in the church and both need to happen in your life. And if they're not happening in the church, something's bad wrong. If the apostles were to say, you know what? Just forget the whole food distribution thing. We're just going to worry about the word. Y'all don't worry about that. What does James say about that? He said, if you if you have a brother or sister that's hungry, you can't just tell them, go be well and be fed. He says, first you meet that need and then you tell them about the spiritual need. So both need to happen. And that's what the apostles, that's what the apostles uh, do. They appoint these men who were the first deacons, I guess you'd call it, and they were in charge uh, of these things. And so they ordained them. You ever, have you ever been where they, this is where we get the, the laying on of hands to ordain for, this is what they call it. Anyway, man, I'm really struggling. So smile at me once in a while. Just let me know it's okay. All right. And so, so verse six says, and they, the saying pleased them. They, all the crowd, they were excited. They're going to get to choose these guys. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon. And I want to say Pumbaa after that, but it's not. <laughs> and and Par, Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Uh, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. They were uh, commissioning them with this responsibility. They were ordaining them. That's what they were doing. And that's where that practice of laying on of hands for uh, for service comes from. Now, where there's you know another place in Scripture where it talks about laying on your hands and praying, and and the sick will be healed, anointing with all that kind. Of, but here, what's talking about? They were commissioning them for service. They were giving them uh, the Authority to go in Christ's name, in the Apostle's name, and to do this work. And you can see that authority worked out because the next verse, or a couple verses, it's going to say Stephen was working miracles. Stephen was doing great things. He was doing signs and wonders, is what it says, as he was going and ministering to the people. And so, all these men were, all these names are Greek names. I mean, uh, we don't hear about most of them ever again, but they were Greek names, so you see what's going on? It was the Grecians, the Hellenistic Jews, that were bringing the complaints. So what they did was, they appointed seven 
Greek-speaking Jewish men to watch over the widows, to watch over the food distribution of the widows. They were, they were people from among their own that were responsible for that. You see, does it make sense? Y'all are looking at me like, wow, did I sure come in the wrong class today. Uh, they were, that, so I'm t- it's talking about you guys. It'd be like me walking around and saying, okay, this Sunday school class needs this, this, and this, so I'm going to pick you, and I'm going to pick you, and I'm going to pick you, and I'm going to pick They were men from among their own number that were brought forth and said, you know, full of the Holy Ghost, they were full of wisdom, they had a good report with the people, and they said, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to ordain you to this service, and this is going to be your job. Okay? Y'all with me? What's a proselyte? Proselyte is a, a convert. So, w- what it's saying is that he was not born Jewish, he was converted to Judaism. He was a, a, a Greek that was converted to Judaism. Does that make sense? And now he's a Christian. But before, he, all the rest of these men were Jewish by nationality. There were some that were from Palestine, from Jerusalem, and there were others that were from other countries. Those were the Grecians is what it calls it in King James. Uh, excuse me. But this guy was not born Jewish. He was a proselyte. Make sense? Okay. So a proselyte, when you go and you convert somebody, you're making a proselyte. Okay. So well, cool, we learned a new word. Yeah. All right. And so they commissioned them, and then verse 7 is where this section ends. If I was smart, I would end right here on this, uh, and we'd do the rest of it later. But verse 7 says, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now these are the guys have been persecuted. Now I want you to make sure that you you got to link verse seven to what's come before. Why did why why did all of a sudden first? All right, think about this. We've had persecution. Then in chapter five we had corruption that was overcome Ananias and Sapphira, and then persecution again. And so now it says now we've got internal strife and distraction and division among the people, and now this has been overcome. And then now, just like at every instance, Luke has told us, and the church increased, and the word of God grew, and the and the, the people were added to the faith. Did you notice that after every attack? That's come upon the church. It's been overcome. And then Luke finishes with a summary statement. And the word of God increased. And the more disciples were added. And he does the same thing here. Because the apostles took it upon themselves to say, you know what? This is too much. We have to appoint people that can handle this ministry to give us the time and the... the, the Ability. Well, yeah, ability, they already had the ability, but to give us the time in the Word of God and the ministry of the Word, because they made this switch, because they reorganized in the midst of all this going on, the Word of God increased. People were adding, uh, being added to the church, and now even some of the priests, it says many of the priests, were being converted to the faith. You imagine how big that is? All right, you can't be a priest going to work in the temple without passing this huge crowd of people and these guys preaching the word and and, and talking about Jesus being the fulfillment and all these things and they were hearing it day in and day out and so as the priests the priests know the Old Testament they're hearing the Old Testament applied to the life of Christ and and fulfilled in the life of Christ and so the word of God was released to 
to change people's hearts, even those who were vehemently against the church. And so priests start coming and start believing in Christ. Now, if you were the high priest of Sanhedrin, this is really terrifying. I mean, you decided to let all this go, and now all of a sudden your own your own guys are starting to be converted. Your own guys are starting to be uh, brought into the faith. And so something has got to be done, and we're going to put a stop to this quick. And this is where we enter with Stephen. Stephen, the rest of this chapter is just going to be a little summary statement about Stephen and what he was doing. And the next chapter, next week, we're going to hear Stephen's speech, which is, I mean, it's utterly, biblically, it is probably one of the most beautiful speeches uh, in the Bible because he starts at the very beginning. He runs through all of Jewish history and shows how Jesus is the fulfillment at every point uh, of Jewish history. And for his trouble, he gets stoned to death and killed. And so uh, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to had enough. Anyway, so the rest of the rest of the chapter, man, is it time to go yet? The rest of this chapter is about Stephen. Okay, Stephen, full of faith and power, he did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now, think about this. This is not a menial task that this guy's been given. He's going right to where people need him, and he is testifying to the power of God. Uh, Stephen, full of faith, there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, which is, Libertines means freedmen, uh, and the rest of these are, are countries. Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and of them Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. Why were they disputing with Stephen? He was just a food guy, right? What do you think they were disputing? This message. Yeah. He was just a food guy, right? But he was a food guy that brought the gospel everywhere he went. He was a food guy that... Now, the synagogue was where Stephen would have done a lot of work. Because synagogue wasn't just a church. It wasn't just a worship place. It was a school. It was a, a place where meetings were held to discuss issues that were going on. It was a place where traveling Jews would come in and that's they would be able to stay there and, and just receive lodging for a day or two before they left again. It was a place... Uh, it was a hub of... of of Jewish society. And so uh, sick people would go there. So uh, hurting people, widows, orphans would go there to be fed and all these things. And Stephen was in charge of the food distribution for these things. So he would have spent a lot of time and he would have been giving out food, but he would have also been telling them about the fulfillment of Christ and what Christ had done and the gospel and all those things. And so he goes into the synagogues and he goes to telling about Jesus. And all of a sudden these, these synagogue leaders are like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not going to have all that. You're not going to be doing away with our customs and the law and all that kind of stuff. And so it says they opposed him. It's interesting to me. You probably won't find it as interesting to me. But there's some discussion as to whether this is just one synagogue or whether it was different synagogues. Um, Freedmen just means people that were, they're Jewish uh, people in Jerusalem that were born from either freed slaves or they'd come from other countries, descendants of freed slaves. That's all that means. Uh, But Cilicia is one of the cities, one of the countries that's mentioned. And the the major city in Cilicia is Tarsus. You know anybody from Tarsus? Saul was from Tarsus. And so Saul could have been in this synagogue, or I mean, it's possible, it's just my imagination, but Saul could have been in this Cilician synagogue and heard Stephen preach. And who was holding the clothes while Stephen got stoned to death? 
Saul was. So, I mean, I just make that connection. See, I told you, you wouldn't think it was as amazing as I did. Okay. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Is it because Stephen was just so awesome? Because the Holy Spirit was was working through him. They were not able to uh, resist him. Then they suborned men. They brought men forward which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. They stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him into the council and set up false witnesses which said, The man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. Was what? What was Stephen saying, do you think? It doesn't tell us, but what do you think he was saying that they thought was blasphemous against this holy place and the law? What do you think he was preaching? That Jesus is God. That Jesus is God and that he's what? What about the holy place? Yeah, that he, he, it rendered the sacrifices and the temple useless. It rendered the it rendered the need to keep the law for righteousness useless. Not saying that we don't keep the law, but Jesus, he was preaching that Jesus was the fulfillment. He is the true temple. Jesus himself said, You destroy this temple, I'll raise it up in three days. And disciples said he was talking about his body. You want to say something? Yeah. Please do. I'm floundering up here. No, but I mean as you're reading that passage as a text, you can just see the the, the parallel of of Jesus and teaching and what they wanted to do to him. They said the same things about Jesus that they said about Stephen. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it models him perfect. And they brought false witnesses for his trial, just like they brought false witnesses to Jesus' trial. Um, he is going to be, uh, he's a real special guy. I mean, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, he, he's, he is... Uh, there's something about Stephen that is just, it just infuriates them. I mean, they just want him dead. And at the end of this, I mean, you read the last verse, as they're bringing all these accusations, it says, And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been like the face of an angel. You know, I mean, you can't get a picture of a more innocent, sweet, you know, this was not like Paul who would come and get in your face and say, you know what, I, I oppose Peter to his face and, you know, uh, all kind of stuff. I could say all kind of things. This was not a guy, I mean, this was just, it, for, from the way it's reading, and this is just maybe meet my imagination, but it's almost like he's just this, this sweet, innocent guy that's, you know, meek and mild and going and preaching. And when they try to oppose him, he's he, they just can't overcome the wisdom and the spirit which he speaks. And he's standing at the trial and he's just so beautiful in his face. You know, it's like his face is shining. And, you know, just, of course, Luke means to say that he's, he's innocent and that he looks innocent and they know he's innocent. But it, it brings my mind back to the fact that Moses' face shone when he was in the presence of God. You know, and whether whether he was glowing in the Sanhedrin. I mean, I, I don't know, but it was it was as if he had the face of an angel. You know, he was just this 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 guy just with this message, and that is what man it made them so mad. So when when you come when you come and you you have this message of Christ, you know, you don't be surprised that it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna make people mad. I mean, bad mad. I mean, sometimes I make people mad, and it's my own fault because I'm just you know that kind of guy. 
But when you come with the message of Christ, it doesn't matter how sweet you are, it's either going to, it's either, the Spirit of God is either going to use it to shape people's hearts and bring them to Himself, or the Spirit of God is going to convict them, which it always does, and it's going to really make them mad. You know, and so it's something that we don't, I mean, you just need to know that it's coming. And in the, when it says that they weren't able to overcome him, uh, it got me thinking to Jesus' promise in Luke 21, 15. I, I wrote it down here so I can read it to you. Jesus promised his disciples. He said, I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. So you can see that Jesus' promise is fulfilled right here in Stephen. This is the guy who's bringing food to the widows. And the guy who's bringing food to the widows possesses the same powerful word of God that the apostles were preaching that was converting the priests as they walked by in the temple. You see, so this guy's testimony, his just Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things. Uh, it got him in a lot of trouble and he ended up, he ended up dying for it. So false accusations, false evidence. He's coming against Moses and against the law and the holy place. And he preached the fulfillment. But it says that, that his face was just as innocent as it could be. He was just the uh, face of an angel. And so if I had it my way, I would have separated this chapter into two parts. But just for time's sake, we need to get it done. Remember this stuff about Stephen because the whole next chapter is going to be about Stephen. And it's going to be about his speech uh, when they go to stone him. And it's going to be about his death. And that death is going to send the church out away from Jerusalem and to bring forth God's message. Uh, and then chapter 8 is going to be all about Philip. So... Uh, you have 7 and 8, 6, 7, and 8 are about these two guys, Stephen and Philip, who by, by all intents and purposes, by our accounting, would be appointed to serve tables. But yet they were used mightily and powerfully in God's kingdom to, to bring thousands, if not more, to saving, to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Stephen did it through his death. It was Stephen's death that caused the church to run out of Jerusalem and then caused Philip to go to Samaria and start preaching the gospel there. Is there any questions? I knew that was going to be a hard lesson. Yeah, go ahead. Well, it seems to me that um, you know, this task they were given is, is to meet the needs of the least in the family. Church. Right. You know, I mean, you know, the, the widows ain't got no money to, to contribute to you know, the service of the gospel or whatever. You know, these are the least among us, you know, in that sense. So here you have given the task to just take care of the least, the most least important of all, and yet it turns out that uh, God had better. Yeah, purpose. and He was used mightily, and it never. We never are told about how they went about their food distribution program, but. I think we're, Luke does that for a reason because uh, their service was in service for the king and it was with the testimony of the king. But whatever it is that you do, whatever it is, it, Stephen was appointed to do this task, but over and above the task itself, his job was to be a witness. You remember all the way back, Acts chapter 1, I'll put my spirit, when the spirit comes, you will be a witness to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost 
parts of the world. We're almost finished with the section that deals with Jerusalem. We're about to move into the section that deals with Judea and Samaria. And then when we get to Paul, we're going to deal with the uttermost parts of the world. Does that make sense? I knew this was going to be a hard lesson just because, you know, it's hard to apply the logistics of the early church to, you know, our own life. I knew it was going to be more like a history lesson than a, than a whatever. So uh, next week is, is going to be, is going to be Stephen's speech. And it's, it's something that's really exciting to me and I hope it will be to you. So uh, is there anything else before we go? Okay. Lord, we love you. God, thank you for your word. Lord, just be with us as we go into worship, God. Be with me as we, uh, we start preparing for next week and, and, the, and the, the word that you've given us in Acts chapter 7. And God, I just pray that you would uh, guide my words and my thoughts and my hearts to apply them uh, to, this, uh, to this group of people, Lord, so they can, they can uh, be instructed by your spirit, not just by, uh, not just by me or not just by a history lesson, but to be empowered by your word. We thank you for that. Be with Brother Eddie as he preaches today. And we ask that you be with our hearts as we hear your word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.